you really, really touched on an area of passion when you started talking about skills and how really that can be the building block of how we think about talent going forward and really the, the unit of currency as I like to think about it. Hello and welcome to the Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent first company. Today's episode features an interview with Ellie Bertani, Senior Vice President of HR Transformation and Services at Wells Fargo. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Seidel. And today, we have an incredibly exciting guest. Welcome, Ellie Batani. Ellie's the Senior Vice President of HR and Transformation and Services at Wells Fargo. Ellie, thanks for joining us today. To get started, tell us a little bit about your role at Wells Fargo and the kind of work you've been doing there. Absolutely. Well, I joined Wells Fargo a little over a year ago and came in to really help lead through the transformation that the HR function is needing to go through at this time. The scope of our work includes everything from looking at the HR operating model and trying to put in place better structure, better ways of working, and an improved culture here in our HR team, but also thinking about how we improve the operations and in particular our ability to innovate and really stay abreast of uh, new changes coming in the HR space by putting in place agile teams and new ways of working that really help our teams perform better and better over time. I love the emphasis you put there on operations, improving the operating model, improving operations. One of the things that we thought a lot about when when we have been we're starting up here working with our customers is just how few organizations and talent teams actually have a strong operations function. You have so many other parts of the organization where ops is sort of at the core, sales operations, product operations. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting to, to hear you use that terminology. And is that something that you saw as, as an opportunity to double down on when you first joined Wells Fargo? What else was you know some of the biggest opportunities you saw when you first joined? Yeah, so a few things I would call out. On the HR front, definitely in our operations, for Wells Fargo in our technology. So there had been some investments that had been started to make right before I arrived at the company that we started putting in place Workday and ServiceNow, huge investments and improvements that just launched earlier this year that will absolutely improve our ability to deliver for the business and our human capital strategy. But in addition, just how the HR organization operates and the disciplines we put in place to make sure we have visibility to all the work, make sure we're prioritizing work and really focused on the most important outcomes for the business, incredibly important for us. More broadly, I think big opportunities that our company is facing, just like many others, attrition in this current environment, and how do we be sure that we have a great culture and a great employee value proposition that can not only attract new employees, but keep our employees here. The joint emphasis on both the attraction and the attrition and retention is, uh, I think, a new thing that we're seeing businesses start to do in this sort of post-pandemic world. I think a lot of that has been often quite disconnected. And now we're seeing companies both hire for potential and attract for potential and think about carrying that through. And it's, it's amazing to see that you're doubling down on that. What's been the most rewarding part of your role over the past year? Oh, my. Part of it has been the incredible team I've gotten to lead to build and lead over time. It's one of my personal favorite things to do as a leader is find great talent that's passionate about people, about culture, but also knows how to take an idea through to delivery and really execute. 
And I've been incredibly privileged to be able to hire or bring on board or grow talent within our team. I think the other thing that has been incredibly rewarding is just the learning opportunity to come into a new organization, understand a new industry, and see the differences between my prior industry, which was retail, and also healthcare prior to that, to financial services has been really eye-opening, particularly with the amount of scrutiny that Wells Fargo is currently under. It's been a great learning experience and has enabled me to see how important it is that we manage risk in particular around our human capital and, and talent. This takes us nicely to, to our next segment, The Journey. A real journey. Become the journey. You mentioned the opportunity and privilege you've had to bring on and hire amazing talent. And as part of that, how have you thought about measuring the success of your team and the the success of that talent um, that, that you have in your organization? What have been some of the benchmarks or, or metrics that you've used to, to, to gauge your success? So we have started using, to my great delight, OKRs here in our HR function. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of this type of objective planning and measurements. I think it's fairly simple, fairly clear, and can be really easily articulated to employees. What are you trying to achieve and how are you going to measure results? And how do you shoot big and really challenge yourself for bigger and better improvement over time? So we've started employing OKRs in our teams. And most of my teams, because I'm, I'm leading transformation, are sort of innovation teams. They're, they're there to change the business. They're not operational execution teams. And so the types of objectives we set those teams are generally quarterly. We don't look at annual goals. We look at quarterly because it's easier to measure and anticipate changes that we need to follow along with. And for us, it's, you know, uh, setting goals like one of my team is, is designing a new talent mobility program for Wells Fargo. And so their objectives not are not only are milestone based, right? Do we have the new process stood up? Are we reaching our pilot goals in time? But very specifically, are employees able to move faster through the organization to achieve their career goals? Does the business feel supported? Do employees like the new process, right? So you can you can set up very specific targets that you want your your teams to achieve, but in a in a shorter term basis that really helps them mark their progress. The kind of initiatives you mentioned around which you've been looking at targets, like a new talent mobility program, and more broadly, talent transformation as a function, is one where change management is more systematically important than many in most parts of the business. And especially with new initiatives in mobility and talent marketplaces, this is something we do with, with, uh, with a lot of our customers. And we see the culture change journey being one where some leaders run into friction points with their broader organization about how to navigate that change, get buy-in. What are some of the friction points that you've run into when you've been trying to bring about these changes and, and some of these new initiatives? Well, you know, transformation is always can be a very interesting area to be in and to lead because to your point, you're really put in place as a to challenge the status quo. And that does cause friction often. And it's how you manage that friction that can lead to your success or your failure. So a couple of things I, I always like to think about. One is ensuring you have strong sponsorship for whatever area you're pushing against, if you will, because often you need that most senior leader, the CHRO, or sometimes even the CEO, to be in your camp to get some of the hard conversations and decisions across the line. Now, that is always made easier if you're starting with the voice of the customer, the voice of the business, which should be the driving factor in whatever problem you're trying to tackle. So rather than HR sort of in its ivory tower 
deciding to do one thing or another, independent, we always need to be listening to the business and going where the business wants us to go. And that helps assure your success as well. So those are the things I think of first and foremost. I think the sponsorship from senior leadership is something that has started to become easier than it was a few years ago with the importance and front of mind components of both reskilling, upskilling, and everything else that businesses are facing. When you think about going back to your point of looking at the full journey from attraction to attrition and thinking about that, that entire experience, what have been some of the biggest challenges in that talent lifecycle and that journey that you focused on in your time at Wells Fargo? I think for us, it is, you know, the complexity of a business at, at scale means you always are juggling a lot of different variables and trying to prioritize amongst them. So we have, you know, seven main lines of business at Wells Fargo because we have a broad, broad business that serves a variety of different customers from individual families all the way up to large corporations. And each of those different customer sets has different needs. Therefore, the businesses have different strategies and therefore the talent strategies to support the business can vary. And so, for example, as we see a lot of hiring needs in certain areas or attrition problems in others, ensuring that we have good conversations happening at the top of the house, trade-off conversations between those various priorities is really, really important because what you don't want to do is become unfocused as an HR organization and, and try to solve too many things at once that tends to spread you too thin, tends to make you less successful and slower. And so forcing the trade-offs, forcing the prioritization is one of the, the keys in a complex business to your success. And with that, what have been some of the trade-offs you've had to make? What have you had to prioritize versus, versus hold off in, in that equation? Yeah, so um, we've had to prioritize a lot of te technology investments in our space, which has made us need to hold off on some of the programmatic initiatives we would love to put in place. So for example, you know, we have been in talks with vendors around expanding our educational benefits program. A lot of that has had to be delayed or has had to be put on hold until workday has come through and the systems are really ready to support some of these broader initiatives we need. And that's tough, right? Because the technology is critical but the end user doesn't feel it as much as they would feel some of the programmatic things we want to do over time. It makes a lot of sense. And I think putting the right foundations in place before you jump jump to the, the next initiative is, is really critical. Outside of Workday, what have been some of the other key foundations that you've started putting in place and what are sort of the biggest opportunities for the year ahead with, with, from that technology perspective? Yeah, so some of the other areas we're focused on because it's well Fargo and because it's the moment in time, a lot of it is around how we ensure that we are really buttoned up from a risk and regulatory perspective. Compliance, ensuring things like our performance management system is strong and appropriate and is well understood throughout the business so that we don't run into challenges like have plagued the company in the past. But in addition, really building out our operations function and how uh, managers at every level get services from HR in our consulting function. And we have a large manager advisory services function we're setting up right now because with the number of managers and employees we have in the business, we have to make sure that everyone feels well supported by HR whenever they have something talent related they need to address. Makes a lot of sense. And with that, you're bringing in some of those culture change elements internally for, for how managers and employees and candidates and recruiters interact. 
to bring this together, if you had to try and summarize in a few sentences your strategy or your priorities for the next few years, how would you describe it? So first, so there are really four or five different ones I would, I would speak about. One is really building and maturing our talent function within HR. Everything from some of the foundational work we have to do, like in performance management, like in manager upskilling, early manager training. We used to have programs. They were taken apart over time. They have to be rebuilt to some of this more aspirational stuff we'd like to do, like talent mobility, marketplace, skills-based infrastructure, et cetera. Second, I would say is HR operational effectiveness, which we touched on. We need to be better organized as an HR function, but also better in serving the hundreds of thousands of employees we have. And so we're putting in place those expanded structures right now, and that that's creating a lot of change for us. And then Third, I would probably say it's around a risk and regulatory work and ensuring that we as Wells Fargo are have the highest standards and are meeting those high standards so that everyone has confidence in Wells Fargo as a business operating the way it should be for our customers and our employees. It's great to hear the emphasis you ha- you've put on maturity and phases and how part of that maturity is skills centric, I think. Skills has been talked about for over a decade in this industry, but we've reached a new set of capabilities from a technology perspective, a new set of opportunities. And as you've said, there's an opportunity to really put skills at the center of the employee experience. Now we think about talent marketplaces and gigs and growth and validating skills, not just looking at learning. It's uh, something that we've spent a lot of time on over the last couple of years to create that sort of connective tissue between HR and TA and actually create a mindset of talent on demand so that there are opportunities available on demand to your employees when they look for them, that that the process of how your recruiting organization runs is actually one way you consider internal people as well as external people. And it's uh, amazing to hear that uh, you, you've got such a structured approach to thinking about that. So flipping into a more personal side of things to, to wrap this section, I'd love to ask you about something that you're personally passionate about. And I know that you're a supporter of Guild Education, would love to to learn more about this and hear the, the kind of things you've been focusing on there. Absolutely. And you really, really touched on an area of passion when you started talking about skills and how really that can be the building block of how we think about talent going forward and really the, the unit of currency, as I like to think about it, and, and leads nicely into the conversation around Guild. So I used to be, prior to coming to Wells Fargo, I was at Walmart for almost eight years, six and a half years in HR. And there I had the great privilege and opportunity to work on a lot of skills-based programs that the company was investing in. And one of them was to build out a new program that was focused on how we supported our associates in terms of their educational benefits. And there, as we did a landscape analysis to understand what could be true and looked at a variety of potential vendor partners, this sort of new up-and-coming partner named Guild Education appeared and we took great interest in them. And Guild is this really unique, what was a startup, now a high growth company that really partners and provides a marketplace for employers and their employees so that both the employers can achieve their talent strategy goals, i.e. build skills internally for critical jobs that they are hiring for. And employees can get this great low cost or no cost benefit of either a college education or a certificate program or some sort of credential that enables them to increase their earning power. And um, so we started a pilot with Guild that eventually grew into a full-blown program 
with dozens and dozens of potential career options, everything from business degrees to technology certificates, programming, data analytics, to trade skills, healthcare degrees like pharmacy technician, all of which led directly into specific jobs that Walmart was growing in and and had a need for. So it was an interesting win-win for everyone at the table because of the way we built it. And it's, you know, something we hope to do at Wells Fargo over time as we mature into a space that allows us to do so. It's really exciting to hear you talk about the connection between the learning opportunities and the actual growth within somebody's career. It's one of those things that is actually disconnected even at the technology level. The courses you take don't validate your skills. They don't connect with your internal opportunities mindset. Um, it's something that we've spent a lot of time investing in through essentially the, a use of AI that isn't in the traditional mindset of matching candidates to jobs, but actually translating skills between systems. It's something uh, uh, we call the universal skills platform, but I think it's going to be a really key component of the new ecosystem. Whatever technologies you use, understanding how to translate the skills in one system and another and have these things connect so that employees ultimately can see their own growth in a connected way is going to be super important. Well, Ellie, this uh, takes us nicely to our next segment, the future of talent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. What is your view on the recipes for success as an organization today? If you are imagining your peers in an agnostic way in the industry, what are the the, the core components of what, what organizations should be thinking about in terms of what success looks like? Wow, great question. I think there there are a few things I would say. First, there are a lot of different generations currently participating in the marketplace. There are everything from your Gen Zers to millennials to boomers still working full time, and that creates a really interesting, difficult but ultimately, I think, exciting opportunity for companies to understand their talent and leverage their talent better and better. And I don't know that a lot of companies are thinking enough about how they segment and really get to know the needs and the aspirations of those different groups and how to meet those needs and aspirations. Because each generation almost has its own subculture, set of expectations, set of needs and desired priorities. And it's both by generation and by life stage. And that creates a lot of complexity as an employer trying to meet your employees where you're at. But if you can and you show the attention and care to really listening and meeting employees and and supporting them with the needs that they have, you're going to be a really successful organization. You're going to not only attract amazing talent, but also retain that talent. And retention is one of the biggest challenges that companies are having today. And it goes far, far beyond just compensation. In fact, for most people, compensation is just one of you know three or four really critical factors that make them attracted to or stay at a company. The generational piece you mentioned there with retention is, uh, is really interesting because we have data all around us. We know that People are now looking at potentially 20 jobs in their career rather than one. The question of how we actually adjust our strategies to take into account, what does that mean, is uh, is one we haven't really fully engaged with as an industry. I think when you look at programs, for example, you mentioned you guys are looking at talent marketplaces. When you look at both internal opportunities, but also if somebody leaves, that doesn't mean you that you should give up. They might leave and come back. The idea of how you manage your alumni and have this ongoing relationship with people is something that should be front of mind, but we haven't really, as an industry, uh, figured out or, or got good answers to. And with that in mind, with some of these generational themes and these retention themes, 
if you had to think about over the coming years, what organizations really need to get right to tackle this, what are some of the most important things that you think other HR and TA leaders should be prioritizing? Well, first of all, data, right? Having a strong people analytics, even if it's a very small team, people who know how to help you collect, analyze your sentiment data, what are what are my employees thinking, how to segment it and really understand root causes and underlying themes, super important. Otherwise, you're relying a lot on guesswork or one-off squeaky wheel type of conversations. And that that can be risky. That can get you to the wrong outcomes or, or help you set the wrong priorities. So I always feel like a strong analytics team should be the backbone of any people function these days. I think also creating a culture of listening, creating a, a culture of two-way dialogue, which in many organizations is a major shift in how leaders act and operate in the day-to-day. So this historical you know, culture in many organizations that's very top-down, command and control, doesn't really cut it with younger generations, and also in many ways can be less effective. It's effective in emergencies and crisis scenarios, but apart from those scenarios, building high-performing team really involves a lot of coaching, listening, two-way dialogue, responsiveness by leadership to what the employees need. This is the idea of servant leadership, right? The, the, the leader is in service of the employee on behalf of the business is a mindset that helps, I think, companies be more successful and is a skill set that is teachable, but a mindset that has to be encouraged in many organizations. I think that the two themes you've highlighted there of analytics culture and servant leadership have a really interesting connection point in the fact that in order to really be able to understand where are we missing things in our organization, where we need to listen in and look at doubling down on reskilling or upskilling, it also helps to have the data to do that, to listen not only in conversation, but with data. One of the challenges we've seen is organizations often don't actually have the right data to do good analytics when it comes to some of those core topics around what do people want? What do people want to do? What do people, what skills do our employees have? And it touches on this sort of catch-22 of sometimes you need to roll out new initiatives, like, for example, new employee experiences or new alumni experiences in order to capture the information around what people want to do and what skills people have to then be able to act on it. And that's one of those uh, sort of dual programs of look at the analytics and look at the programs that, that I think you, you're, you're highlighting there and the need to, to, to have servant leadership and the data to do so. If you think about that topic you mentioned of the importance of data and what organizations could be doing differently or better when it pertains to to data. What are some of the things that you've seen uh, either at Wells Fargo in your other roles that is important for HR and TA leaders in particular to look at when it comes to engaging with the problems of data and the initiatives to put analytics to work? Well, so I, I would say two things here. There's There's two different factors I always think about when I think about analytics. I think about the quantitative metrics and the qualitative. I think the qualitative is all around employee listing, right? It's the interviews, the focus groups, the surveys. That need not be overcomplicated. There's very cheap, simple tools you can use. So I don't put a lot of stock in organizations that effectively choose not to invest in listening to their employees because I think it's too hard because it doesn't have to be hard at all. Now, on the quantitative side, your operational metrics, your talent metrics, those you need to have good data collection systems to capture. You need to have some sort of system to understand what's your attrition, what's your turnover rates. But that's that's pretty table stakes. Again, there's good low-cost software for small companies 
There is profoundly strong systems that exist for large companies, and there are a variety of choices on the marketplace. So that's an investment if you're late to the game as a large organization that is critical that you must make to be able to track and know where your business is at. But on the again, on the employee listening side, I think it's less that it's so hard to collect and that many organizations don't do it or choose not to prioritize listening that is really the issue. Because, you know, you can get a couple of people, some well-written questions in a spreadsheet and learn a lot if you know what you're doing. As part of that focus for organizations that are focusing on these employee reskilling, upskilling, understanding what people have programs, what, what has been your learning around how to create those programs effectively and, and think about the internal organizational approach to start driving that skill-centric culture of we need to understand our skills, we need to engage in these initiatives? So I always say you got to work backwards from the business strategy. So the type of path I have followed and has I found to be successful is going to the business, ensuring you ha- you as an HR leader have real clarity on what they're trying to achieve this year, next year, and the next three years, right? Three or five years. From that, you can back into, well, what are the talent and skills needs, to your point, need to be for us to be successful? And those are pretty strategic, clarifying conversations. Then you start looking at how common are these skills? Are they scarce or are they abundant? And for the scarce skills, are they expensive to buy currently? Do we think they'll be expensive later? And is there a good way for us, a path for us to upskill? do we think, right? And you you do that by also looking out the landscape and saying, what are the educational programs? What are the upskilling programs that might exist or might might apply in these spaces? And from there, you make investment choices. What's nice about that is you get a lot of buy-in when you're speaking the business language. You get a lot of buy-in and interest. Business leaders, I have found, tend to really gravitate and understand a skills-based conversation. It's very natural to many leaders to think in that manner. And so when you approach it from that point of view, you can get a lot of support for the investment choices that are needed to build first buy-in for going in that direction and then building out the infrastructure that you need to make it real. So you back into how are we going to build out the skills ontology for our organization by speaking business first. It's uh, really, really refreshing to to hear how you've connected that element of the strategic I mean, traditionally, more financially minded workforce planning model towards a more capability and skills driven workforce planning model, um, which really connects the business planning to the employee and HR and recruiting planning, which isn't something that many businesses have been able to do to date, but I think is, uh, again, really critical to what, what businesses need to get right and will create that connective tissue within different business departments around actually making the right decisions around build, borrow, buy. Are we actually in a position to decide where should we be hiring versus training? So really, uh, really great perspective. If we take that principle of where things are heading, if you came back five years from now, what's changed? That's a, that's a tough, it's so hard to look in the crystal ball. If you had asked me five years ago, I would have been so far off. So I'll do my best here. Let's start with some of the, I think, trends that appear more obvious to me. We're going to see a lot more hybrid work for your white collar workforce, which is going to, in the interim years, create a lot of challenges for companies. And how do you manage a workforce that is spread across frontline, out in the field, in person, interacting with customers versus a variety of different types of working arrangements for your white collar and holding together a culture 
through that is going to be one of the biggest challenges I think that companies face. And I don't know that I have answers there other than observing that it's going to be a challenge we have to face. I do think you're going to see more and more companies moving towards the skills-based conversation. I actually think you're going to start hearing it at the federal level. I think we're already starting to hear this type of conversation in policymaking. And as policymakers think about investments in education and workforce development, they are already converting to a skills-based language and really thinking about how do we build interoperability in how we think about skills so that if I get a credential you know, at Wells Fargo, it can be recognized and show achievement to if I want to move to Bank of America or if I want to move to, you know, a senior role at Walmart. So credentialing is something I think is also on the horizon, not just formal educational credentialing, but also informal workplace-based credentialing. I think we see a trend there. I also think we see a broader trend in the education system. And certainly when it comes to the workforce, in shorter form, you know, more bite-sized credentials that recognize skill development, but are not these four, four-year-long or two-year-long degree programs, which are a barrier, right, to many people for a variety of reasons. I couldn't agree more. I've actually been on a few panels over the last couple of months with folks from places like the World Economic Forum. And there are a lot of, as you say, government institutions and multinational programs that are now tackling this question in terms of both future of work and future of education. And how do we exactly, as you say, create something that validates skills as you go through your education and your careers? I, I for one, am excited about the opportunity that provides to people to better self-navigate their careers and also to create more inclusion. One of the founding principles for us when we we started Beamery was how to create equal access to work. And this element of centering on people's potential and capabilities over the passport lottery and where people were born is such a key step in that journey. Uh, So really hope you're right and hope that is uh, the the future we're heading to. So final question, Ellie, if uh, we now go back in time to your past self, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself if you are going back in time to starting in the, in the kind of role you're in and this function of talent transformation? I think one is HR in the people business is only becoming more and more strategic and critical to company success, right? As we move into an age when the differentiator is often human capital and the knowledge and skills your worker have. So it's a great area to get into, right? If I were looking back and saying, did I make the right choice? Absolutely. It is an incredibly interesting area to be in this day and age. Second, pay very close attention to culture and leadership. It's one of the things I've learned consistently at all of my jobs. Your success often is based on who you work with, who you work for, and their energy around the work you're doing. Don't try to push water uphill. Go where the business is going. And if you do, you are likely to have success if you follow their lead. So those are probably the ones I would say. Really great advice, Ellie. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on The Talent Blueprint. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been great. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.